Good morning. Go ahead and turn over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 20. Yeah, we're continuing on with our Life App series. And remember those apps, they, they're supposed to simplify your life, make life better, easier to go from one day to the next, solve problems. Now, this app is uh, a deep app. It goes deep into the operating system of the human heart. This is high-level Christianity. You know, there's certain topics you talk about that you can kind of keep on the surface of life, but not forgiveness. Forgiveness goes to the deepest parts of who we are. And listen to this verse in chapter 20, verse 27. It says, the lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of man. It searches out his inmost being. As soon as you hear the word forgive, you go one of two places or maybe both. You either think of the people that you need to forgive Or you're thinking of the situation where you need forgiveness. Now, forgiveness isn't one of those neutral things. It's not, you know, what kind of car do you want to drive? Forgiveness is deep and personal. It's intense. Why? Because forgiveness involves sin. Either sin that you committed or sin that was committed against you. It's a touchy subject. Look at this in uh, chapter 19 of Proverbs. Verse 11. It says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Now the world will tell you there's a lot of things that are glorious. If you're a linebacker on a football team, it's glorious to pummel that receiver. If you're running a business, they'll tell you it is glorious to earn massive profits. If you're in a relationship, they'll say it is glorious if the dating and engagement works out and you end up married to that person. You know, there's a lot of things that the world will tell you is glorious. You know what the Bible says is glorious? When you are sinned against, just overlook it. That's glory. Is that how you feel? You know, forgiveness in theory is a simple concept. But how do you feel? When somebody sins against you, I would guess you feel like I do. You feel like everybody does. Your feelings are hurt. You're angry. You want to retaliate. You want them to know how much they've hurt you. And sometimes we think or even say, I'll forgive you eventually. But you need to know how much you hurt me. And we want to torture and punish emotionally. Sometimes it's a silent treatment. I'm not going to talk to you. I'll sleep in a different room. 
or I'll yell at you or I'll pick at you in this area. Why? Because we don't want to forgive. We don't want to be glorious. Even if God says, hey, when you do that, you're amazing. We go, yeah, but they hurt me. I don't care about being amazing. Forgiveness is a tough concept. Say, well, what is forgiveness? First of all, you know, the world will say, well, you need to forgive and forget. Well, not exactly. Because forgiveness is the very thing that acknowledges the offense. Forgiveness is to say, yes, I agree with you that you sinned against me. But I will release you from the angst, the emotional tension of the offense. Now, that doesn't mean I have to immediately trust you or feel healed. Give you an example. Somebody steals $1,000 from me. And they come and they say, I'm sorry. I can say, I forgive you. But that doesn't mean that I may let you into my house unsupervised again. Well, sometimes we think, well, to forgive means that I need to immediately trust at full capacity. No, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness acknowledges the offense, but that doesn't mean all the trust and the healing is complete. You know, the banks have this figured out. If you say, I am so sorry for sinning and overspending, if they're spiritually minded, they can say, we forgive you, but you still have to pay your bill. You see, forgiveness is not escaping consequences of the sin. Forgiveness is being released from the emotional tension of the offense. If you think about forgiveness, everybody wants it, everybody needs it, but it's so hard to give it to somebody else. Go over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. And he picked up his mat and walked. If you get anything out of this lesson today, connect forgiveness to this passage. 
Because forgiveness is a decision that we make. It is not a process. And too often we're stuck just like this invalid. Yeah, this is one of those passages that you read, and when Jesus says, do you want to get well? Isn't your first thought like, you know, Jesus, what kind of question is that? Like, I mean, who in their right mind is going to say no? Like, oh yeah, Jesus, no, I want to stay in this condition. You know, when it comes to forgiveness, it is exactly the same situation. Nobody can make you forgive if you don't want to. And just like this man that was paralyzed for over 38 years, there are some in this audience that have been paralyzed for decades because they've said no when Jesus said, do you want to get well? Say, but who in their right mind would say no to that? I don't like feeling the way I do. No, the world is fueled by bitterness. People can accomplish a lot through anger and hatred. Maybe a coach or a teacher or a parent said something bad to you or did something bad to you years and years ago. And you can be a grown adult, and the fuel of your life is to prove them wrong. I will show them they're wrong. You said I couldn't, and I'm going to show you I can. Say, what's the fuel? I'm mad at what they said. It hurt, and I don't like it. But instead of forgiveness, that's going to fuel my life. Some of us are crippled by sin that has happened in our lives. Things we had nothing to do with. But the tension grips our heart day after day, week after week, and month after month. It inhibits us from having close relationships. We don't want to be vulnerable because we don't want to get hurt ever again. We'd love to have a great friendship. But we're too afraid to risk it in our heart. In some cases, we go from job to job because we never have a boss who's good enough. And the problem in the boss. The problem is you and wherever you go to work, you're there. There will never be a teacher perfect enough, a professor perfect enough, a spouse perfect enough, kids perfect enough. And we can have unresolved issues in our heart. And Jesus keeps asking, do you want to get well? And sometimes here's our answer. I want to get well, but I don't want to forgive. Think about this guy. Jesus asked him a yes-no question. Do you want to get well? What did he do? Blame shifted. No one helps me. Listen, you got the creator of the universe in front of you. It says, do you want to get well? Instead of just saying yes, 
he starts blaming. Well, no, no one's there to help me. And then when I try and get in, other people are in my way. And I'm just a victim. And life is so hard for me. And it's unfair. And I want to get healed. But all these people, no one helps me enough. And everybody's hurting me. And that's my problem. And Jesus is like, uh, why don't you just say yes? Yeah, the Lord had an amazing way of just ignoring defensive responses. Yeah, you wonder what was in the Lord's heart. He was probably smiling. Filled with compassion and this guy is blaming everyone around him. And he's like, just take your mat up and walk. Okay. But he didn't. He was healed. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Now, Jesus finds him again later in verse 14 because, you know, they're question, all, the, all the, the Pharisees are questioning, like, who healed you? And it's a Sabbath, and you shouldn't have been healed on the Sabbath. And, and he's like, I, I don't know who it was. And Jesus finds him later in verse 14. And he says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This guy didn't even have Jesus figured out. But he walked away healed. Yeah, you don't have to have every facet of Christianity figure out in order to forgive. But you do need to understand that when Jesus says, do you want to get well? There is no middle ground answer that's going to heal your heart. Only yes. Because nobody can make you forgive. You know, one of the saddest places to go is a nursing home. And it's not because people there are old. You can be around happy old people and grumpy and regretful old people. Nursing homes are sad because they're filled with regret and hurt and pain. Not always. You say, what's your heart filled with this morning? When Jesus says, do you want to get well, will you say yes? Three practicals to forgive. Number one, we need to be conscious of our need to forgive others. Go to Matthew 18. Now, I'm not talking about being aware of the sin that they committed against you. We're good at that part of it. You know, we got the sin against needle is, is a very sensitive meter. Much more sensitive than the people I sinned against meter. And we laugh. We talk about even how, how we describe it. You know, in marriage... We don't sin against our spouse. Those are our shortcomings. Those are our weaknesses. But when they mistreat us, oh, they sinned against me. They've hurt me so badly. Our, our, our sin against radar is very sensitive. You're with me on that? Okay. So I'm not talking about your awareness of somebody sinning against you. I'm talking about being aware of the expectation God has for you to forgive. 
the people who sin against you. Verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, did I tell you we're in Matthew 18? I did? Oh, I heard some people say no over there. You know what? I forgive you for not paying attention to my sermon. Forgive me. Verse 21. I'll start again for those who had sinned against me. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. God expects you and I to forgive the people that sin against us. That is the absolute required expectation. We cannot pick and choose and say, I will forgive this person, but not this one. I will forgive this level of offense, but not this. I will forgive twice, but not three times. Doesn't, you know, don't you find it harder to forgive the same offense again? You know, you start wanting to say, I just forgave you for that. You just did that last week or last month. And you start thinking of superlatives like you always do this. You said you weren't going to do this again, and then you did. It hurts even more this time. You know, Peter thought he was being impressive when he said, Jesus, how about seven times? I mean, would that be nice with your roommates? Okay, I, I know I blew it, but I get six more times, right? I mean, high school students, wouldn't we love that uh, for, for every test that we take, that we get six re redos of the same test? You go, oh, I love that teacher. I can mess up once, a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth. Man, seven times. Jesus says, no, seven is not good enough. 
as many times as it takes. But remember, forgiveness, you have a choice. Just like the invalid, she said, do you want to get well? You can say no. You can come here, hear the sermon on how to forgive, and walk out unchanged. But there's a price that's paid every time you say no to forgiveness. Hey, you know what word the Bible uses? Torture. You know, the heart of a man or woman who refuses to forgive lives in a tortured state. You see, when somebody sins against you, they've offended you. But when you refuse to forgive them, you are giving them control over your life. Now, doesn't that make no sense? Like, we would want to throw off their control. I don't want you to have any influence over me because you hurt me. But if you refuse to forgive... They can absolutely run your life. Every word that they say, every look that they give, everything that they do bugs you, irritates you, makes you angry all over again. Why? Because you haven't forgiven. And so the torture continues. You say, what's the standard of forgiveness? To forgive your brother or sister from the heart. You say, why does it say from the heart? Because we all know the saying the words and not mean it. That's not from the heart. You say, how do you know if you've forgiven somebody from the heart if the tension is gone? If you can walk into fellowship and see them and feel great. If you can talk to them on the phone. If you get a text message from them and you don't want to just delete it. When the tension is gone, that's when the forgiveness happens. Now, I do want to talk about a couple practicals of forgiveness here in the uh, you know, need to forgive others. Let me tell you how you forgive somebody from the heart. With meaning and sincerity, you say, I forgive you. You go, well, you know, do I have to say the words? Yes. Now, if you speak a different language, you can use that language as long as they understand it. In sign language, it's this. This is forgiveness. I forgive you. You say, why do you have to say those words? Because let me tell you what society does. Somebody says, I'm really sorry for hurting your feelings. And society goes, oh, it's okay. Oh, well, then I'm going to do it tomorrow. Well, I don't want you to do it tomorrow. Well, you just told me it was okay. Well, I don't mean that it's okay. Well, then what do you mean? Because it's okay is not the same thing as I forgive you. Usually it's okay is short for I'm irritated with you and I don't really want to talk about it, so it's okay. Let's just end this conversation and I'll smile and go somewhere else. Bitter. No, it is very important. To say, 
I forgive you. Now, on the flip side, if you're the one that needs forgiveness, you say, well, I feel bad about what I did and there's no resolution. Do this. You want to bring a resolution to the head? You say, will you forgive me for whatever it is you did? And you say it like that. Do not say, I apologize. You know, I apologize is far too sophisticated. It's not heartsy. It's too easy to say. Say, I am sorry for this. And you say whatever it is this. Will you forgive me? You see, now the rubber's meeting the road. We, we, are, we are at the crescendo of the resolution. Now, they may say, no, I don't forgive you. That's their issue. It's no longer yours. You can't make somebody forgive you. And if they say, well, I want you to prove to me that you're worthy of forgiveness. That's their issue. I want to be sure that you will never do this against me, and then I will forgive you. That's their issue. If they want to delay the forgiveness to emotionally torture you so you can understand how badly you've been hurt, that's their issue. But if you're trying to reconcile something, you just feel like you can't ever get to the point without blame shifting, without minimizing, you say, I am sorry for this. Will you forgive me? And now it's 100% on their shoulders and you can walk away with a clear conscience. God expects you and I to forgive. Felix talked about it in Matthew 27. Jesus was the only person that had no reason to be sinned against. He did nothing wrong. He was perfectly loving. He didn't mistreat anybody. And yet when sinned against by you and I, He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And because of that, whatever we face is a far smaller debt of forgiveness. And so God says, I expect you to forgive. And if you don't, you'll be tortured until you do. Be conscious of our need to forgive others. Secondly, we need to be conscious of our need for forgiveness. Go to uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. Verse 9 to 14. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. When I am arrogant and self-righteous, it is so easy to hold a grudge against somebody who sinned against me. Why? Because I feel better. I can't believe you did this to me. Well, if I'm in touch with my sin, how can I be self-righteous with somebody else? See, when we have a distorted view of ourselves, we will carry grudges. We will battle with the inability to forgive. Now, the Bible doesn't say, hey, you, you need to feel great about yourself. You know, build your self-esteem. No, the Bible says, be aware of your sins and your need for forgiveness. And what gives us self-esteem is that God loves us, not because we're awesome. I want you to think about any issues in your heart that you've struggled to forgive and see if self-righteousness is present. You know, in a relationship, when you're convinced you're the bigger sinner, it's so easy to forgive. Because you're like, well, you have to put up with me. The least I can do is forgive you for the minor offenses you commit against me. I think about Paul, the apostle. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. That Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I think Paul felt that way. The more in touch he got with his sinful nature, the more sinful he knew he was. Even though outwardly you look at his life and go, wow, he was awesome. I mean, he, he did write half the New Testament. He planted all kinds of churches. He, he accomplished so much good. But the more he got in touch with his sinful nature the more sinful he felt. Like he didn't walk around like, woe is me, I'm so horrible. No, he was, he was a, a great man of God. But he had an accurate view of himself. Say, which prayer, which condition of the heart do you relate more to? Do you struggle with feeling superior? Or do you have an accurate view of your need for God? The Bible says self-righteousness blocked this man's justification. I mean the arrogance. Here he is praying out loud, being critical of somebody praying next to him. Listen, self-righteousness can creep into all of our hearts. And if you're struggling to forgive... You need to check your heart and say, are you in touch with your need? Because if not, you will always struggle to forgive. Be conscious of our need for forgiveness. And then point number three, be conscious of the example of Jesus. Go to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, 
whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit your, uh, yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer your souls. It's a great passage here. In 1 Peter, and he's talking about submitting to authorities, the king, the governor, masters. And and then he talks about we need to submit to all of them. And he says, not just when they're righteous, even when they're unrighteous. And he says in verse 19, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. He says in verse 21, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, is there any righteous sin that's committed against us? No. Sin is wrong. It's bad. You know, it is not hard for me to be conscious of God when life is good. Finances are great, health is great, relationships are great. I mean, life is just perfect. Oh, I feel so close to God. God loves me, I know it. I mean, my quiet times are so easy and connected. How about when somebody sins against us? What's wrong with my Christianity? God, don't you see what's going on? How could you let this happen? Jesus died death on a cross through unjust suffering. If nobody sinned against Jesus, our sins wouldn't have been forgiven. Think about that. Sin had to occur for you and I to be saved. And Jesus is the perfect model of what to do In the face of unjust suffering. So what's he say? Well, first of all, be conscious of God. God did not check out of our life when bad things happen. 
God is aware of it. God loves you just as much on a good day as when something bad happens. You know, just like in my life, when I feel that pain, i got to work harder to connect with God. But His desire, His awareness, His presence in my life is no less real. If I don't feel, feel Him close, it's not His problem. It's my awareness of Him that's messed up. He said, be conscious of God. He says, it's commendable. That means when something bad happens and you go, God, you're with me. I'm going to take one for the team here. I'm not going to have a fit, you know, a sin fit. You had one of those? It's a temper tantrum for adults. We recognize it in our kids when they're young. Where did they learn it from? The in-law side. That's my answer. I always tell Cheryl, I go, it's the Canadian side of our kids. Oh, they learned it from us. We taught them how to respond when bad things happen. We taught them what to do when unfair circumstances hit us. We train our kids whether or not we really believe life is fair or unfair. We go, well, nothing in life is fair. But what do the kids see in us when we go through an unfair time? When we're suffering unjustly? What are we training into our kids? Okay, now I'm getting into a parenting lesson. Let's get back. It is commendable when we bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because we're conscious of God. Say the example of Jesus. You know, there's not one of us that's going to go through something that we can't benefit from Jesus' example. I don't care how bad it hurts. Every single one of us can go to Jesus and see him say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And be both encouraged and challenged in that moment. Because crucifixion was the worst. See, the battle to forgive is a spiritual one. It's a decision. It's not a process. If we're conscious of God, if we're conscious of our need for forgiveness... And if we don't let ourselves off the hook thinking it's okay if we walk out of here refusing to forgive. No, you have that choice. But you'll be tormented if you do. Jesus is asking every single one of us this morning, do you want to get well? We can leave and blame the people that have hurt us. But Jesus didn't ask us who hurt us. He said, do you want to get well? Do you want to forgive? You know, the How to Forgive app, it's a great app for our life. 
The question is whether or not we're going to install it. You have the choice. I want to close over in Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God wants to take away the pain and the tension and the angst. But we must say yes. We must choose to forgive. The process is really quite simple. And the burden, the pain of years of decades can be taken off your shoulders if you install this app into your life. God calls us and expects us to forgive. Let's be conscious of our need for forgiveness and conscious of the example of Jesus as we live our lives free from the burdens that refusing to forgive comes with. Let's put this into practice in our life and get rid of the pain that has plagued us for many years. Amen. Let's stand.